Hey guys, welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven, that is my lovely wife Liberty. We're a married couple with different hobbies and we try to bring each other into our hobbies through the latest news in both books and sports. This is the final sports episode of 2020 for us. I thought you were going to say 2024 and I'm like, you're very off. Yes. <laughs> Four years in the future. We're about to go on a two-week break and then we'll be back for 2021 and hopefully hockey at that point because I miss it. Um, based on the news I have, probably not, so. Okay, can you at least let me have a couple minutes before you burst my bubble? And, and break your heart, I'm sorry. Stomp on it a couple times possibly. Well, let's start there because I don't want to spend the whole podcast waiting for the shoot to drop. Okay, so this week the NHL kind of announced its tentative realignment plan. Um, most of the teams seem to be on board with it so far, but they need the Players Association to also be on board with the decision. Otherwise, they can't approve it under the current CBAs. You're breaking it down into four separate divisions. Oh no, the same thing we did before. Um, just a little bit different. So one of them being Division One, being all Canadian teams. You have the Calgary Flames, the Oilers, the Canadians, the Senators, the Leafs, the Canucks, and the Jets all in one division. Then you have Division Two, which is going to be the Bruins, Sabres, Devils, Islanders, Rangers, Flyers, Penguins, Capitals. Roughly the same, you know, maybe adding the Sabres in there to your guys' area. And that's really about it with that one. The weird one, I think, out of all of them is going to be the third division, which is going to be the Hurricanes, the Blackhawks, the Jackets, the Red Wings, the Panthers, the Wild, the Predators, and the Lightning. So it's really kind of a crazier division, like very, very spread out right. from one another. And then obviously leaves the West teams. You have the Ducks, the Coyotes, the Avalanche, the Stars, the Kings, the Sharks, the Blues, and the Knights in Division 4. Which division is Dallas in, I'm sorry? They're in Division 4, okay. which is going to be the West Western division, basically. Because the middle of the country is the West. Well, St. Louis is technically further east, so yeah, and St. Louis is part of that group too, so. It's weird. I feel like, for the most part, the first two divisions make sense, and then the third and fourth are like, teams. Well, I mean, it does get pretty spread out once you move away from the northeast. That's true. So, it's hard to sort of wrangle everyone together. Right. But any realignment plan still has to be approved by the NHL Board of Governors, not just the... Players Players Association. Association. Mm -hmm. So you have multiple groups that have to approve this plan, but also still don't have a start date, still don't even have a number of games that's going to get played. And like they're trying to talk about how 2021-22 season is going to be a regular normal season. It's like, as long as you get your crap together for this season, yes. Yeah. But I don't want it to turn into like a 2015 lockdown situation where everyone just kind of holds their breath until it's time to play hockey. Yeah, so with this plan as well, part of the realignment plan is a start date of January 13th. Um, Yeah, so we're already getting pushed back from the first. Yeah, so more than likely you can just understand that middle of January, possibly, there's owners of the organizations right now that have said, based on conversations they're having, it seems like most of the ownership is on board with this plan. It's the players that are not, which is kind of weird. Is that more of a financial thing? Like they don't want to start playing if you're not going to pay them enough money? Not necessarily, because also this week, the NHL Players Association and NHL came to agreement that they're just not going to mess with the CBA. They're just going to leave it more or less be for next season. So they're still going to take the same pay cuts and 
that they had from this weird shortened playoff picture situation. They're more or less trying to avoid the pay conversations at this point, just going like, listen, we've already hashed that out in a way that it will work with the current COVID situation. Why mess with it? It's good. Like, if it's not broken, don't fix it. So at this point, it seems like the big picture right now is locking up A, how many games, B, whether this realignment plan is acceptable or not, then figuring out how they're going to do the scheduling because there are certain states like California in the instance of Canada uh, and the provinces, Manitoba, that aren't allowing contact sports right now. I think what you're going to have to look at is having those teams that play in those states not actually play in those states, and they have to be homeless for a season to figure out where they're going to play. Or just temporarily. There's a lot of rumors that the state of California is going to allow that to be a little more relaxed in the sense of hockey come like the middle of late January because the actual vaccine is being pumped out now in the United States. So that is part of kind of the big picture things i think i think i also struggle with them doing a canadian division and then acting like that's going to be good because you play people outside your division all the time so i don't understand how you're gonna have them playing the right teams at the right time this way it just it doesn't make any sense to me and like we've pitched it before you can play all your division games but then once you're done with that you're gonna have to play outside your division and like maybe you're right maybe this vaccine's gonna make things easier but up till this point anytime we thought something was gonna get better with covid or 2020 it has not yeah. so i'm not really holding my breath for that one right but roughly that is what the NHL is aiming for. Hopefully within the next week or so, we'll know whether the Board of Governors and the players are on board with it. And that's at, kind of like the last holding. At this point, we're less than a month out if it's going to happen on time. So yeah. like you need to get your crap together. Um, but I really didn't have a whole lot of NHL news this week. It's pretty quiet based on what I saw. The uh, one weird thing that I saw was a 1979 OPG rookie card for Wayne Gretzky with the Edmonton Oilers from their 78-79 season sold at auction for $1.29 million on Friday. Yeah, it was originally estimated that it was going to go for around a million. So the fact that it went for more than that is like not shocking, but exciting for Gretzky, I guess, in that that process. The auction house said something along the lines of it could go for just under a million or up to 1.6, like... It's in that good of a condition. Also, it's a Wayne Gretzky card. It's already worth a lot. It's the first hockey card to sell for more than a million dollars. So, breaking records even when he's not on the ice. Right. But the same card, and I don't know if it's this card or if it's a card in the same condition and the same blah, 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 blah. But the same card sold for only $465,000 in August of 2016. And that was the record at the time. So, like, we've clearly jumped a whole lot from there. Yeah. And then also this week, Disney announced that there's going to be a new Mighty Ducks TV series. I don't know if you saw that. but I did not. They're supposedly bringing back a large chunk of the original Mighty Ducks cast and making it like they became a minor league team. I don't know how that's going to work out because it's been more years than it would be for them to be minor Right. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was just thinking. Like, at this point, either you've made it into the NHL and you don't play in the minor league anymore, or, more likely, 
you don't play hockey anymore because it's been that long. Yeah, I was going to say the sad reality is they probably don't play hockey. I don't know if they're bringing back like members of the team maybe as like coaching staff possibly. There's really not a lot of information out there. It's just that it's going to be a minor league team instead of like See, the peewee hockey high for school. For me, it would hockey. make sense for them to have them as like coaches or staff at the minor league level maybe one of the people from the mighty ducks became like a doctor or something and like he's the doctor for their team or something yeah like that would be cool yeah them actually playing like no thank you i'll be honest i'm still excited about it because as a child i loved anything mighty ducks that came out um and i did too growing up in southern california where the ducks actually were when all this stuff came out i was over the moon with it i always was really confused that they played in minnesota though because the team was in anaheim (laughs) right yeah but i think for me it's a little different because i loved the mighty ducks movie as a kid but then now as someone who watches a lot of hockey i don't think i could ever watch those again because i just would want to point out all the flaws i don't have a problem with that i'm a bash brother for life that's all i'm saying oh god you are too white and skinny for that <laughs> haters gonna hate <laughs> yeah. but that's that's literally all the nhl news i have i don't know if you have anything more than that but. the last piece of nhl news i have comes out of the northwest with the seattle kraken I was going to ask you, what's Kraken? Oh, the Kraken are selling collectible Christmas ornaments, which were created by Seattle-based artists, with 100% of the net proceeds going to help end youth homelessness. Okay. So, like, they just are getting into being in Seattle and, like, trying to help people in Seattle. Artists are getting commissions and all that, so that's great. Yeah. The team unveiled four tree decorations that are available in the Seattle area stores. So I think there are two locations you can pick this up from Seattle. If you're gonna welcome in a hockey team, I guess that's a way to do it. Yeah, definitely not a bad way to do it. Um, I did want to do one more thing, though, at the end of the hockey segment. I figured since we're at the end of the year, we could do a possible favorite moment in 2020 for the NHL. I don't know that I have one. If you had to think back, what would be your moment? I know it's probably penguin related. If you want 2020 go- has been such a weird and long year that the only thing I can think of that I think happened this year, correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> okay. is the play where Crosby had basically taken the puck, played it against the back of the net, unpants that goalie, and then took the open lane to pass it to a player who scored. The back of the net thing has happened also this year, but I think the one you're referring to was late 2019. Um, It's this past season. But it was this past season, and, and I'll give you that stretch. It was a beautiful play, so I totally understand. It was something that deserved to be kind of on ESPN's top 10 list for a while. It was ESPN a doesn't show play. hockey, let's be honest. <laughs> we'll make sure to uh, tag them in their Snapchat and be like, listen, we're talking all sorts of shade about your... At ESPN, F you. Yeah. So what is your play of the 2020? Well, it wasn't play, it was hockey memory, but you okay. went with play. I think the big one for me was when we came back from the lockdown and my team was put up against the number one offense in the NHL in the very first round to qualify to even make the Stanley Cup playoffs. Well, they weren't the number one because then they wouldn't have had to play in the play-in. 
Well, to clarify, what I meant by that was that when it came to their number one ranking in offense, it was in reference to their points and goals scored, not necessarily their seeding rank necessarily. I think that was really where you and I were a little confused on that. There are differences there. But I felt like that was kind of a proving ground for the youngsters, really, more so than anything. Like, you really saw a lot of the young players from my organization who either weren't clicking 100% of the season, which kind of caused us to be in the situation we were in. All of a sudden, really just kind of everything was there. You know, you you had the Kubaliks, you had the Kirby Docks of the world and Dylan Strom and just everybody was kind of firing on all cylinders to be able to keep up in that series. And And then you got out in the first round. Well, the first round where we played the Vegas Golden Knights who made it to the Western Conference Finals. So and then really, let's be honest, got robbed by the Dallas Stars in that series. I think my actual favorite non-play moment of 2020 was us going to Minnesota and watching a game right before the shutdown happened. Yeah. Because, A, it's the last time I got to watch hockey, and that hurts my soul. But also, (laughs) B, we had gone up there for... Well, you had gone up there for work, and then I came in for, like, 24 hours to, like, pop in and watch a game and leave. Yeah, it was a great surprise. And so we took some people from your work conference, and we went and watched a hockey game, and it was fun to sort of introduce them into our little hockey world that we're in, because we're trying to go to all 31 eventually 32 stadiums to watch a game and so using that opportunity while you were up there for work to sort of pop in and go watch hockey game with you and pop out was a lot of fun yeah definitely I I think all the people that we went with had an absolute blast and what's really funny is after we came back from that trip all those people were like so when are we going to a hockey game again (laughs) I was like that's a good question yeah no one knows (laughs) but I also really enjoyed their actual arena I don't enjoy the security and the way they treated us because that was a whole problem trying to get in but there's like a bunch of history there and there was a Snoopy that was dressed in a wild uniform uniform and he's got the helmet and the stick and it was cute so that was a lot of fun to see well you know i think my whole trip up there was really besides work related was hockey related because like during that time while we were up there as well was the state high school uh tournaments for their hockey teams and their hockey programs so like one of the last nights we were there we went to a like little they called a dive bar it was a restaurant but like it it was a dive bar. Yeah, like, yeah. That's more so what it was. And on all the little tube televisions hanging in the corners, like, when I say dive, I mean like dive. It was old school tube TVs, but they had every single game going at the same time. And the bar was just full of people from all over Minnesota, like, watching their different high school, like, alma mater teams. That's cool. Playing, and I, I thought that was a really cool experience. I think, you know, a lot of people miss certain aspects of life outside of the pandemic like before any of this ever happened and for me the number one thing is going to hockey games or going to bars and watching hockey games and being with friends so 
I'm as ready as everyone else for this pandemic to be over so we can start having real sports memories again. Right. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Like, we obviously, my memory came from the middle of the pandemic. So, like, I thoroughly am happy that, like, things still were happening. I can tell you with certainty here in Dallas, I had a lot of friends who were just overjoyed with the performance of the Dallas Stars for the most part. Until they fell apart. Yeah. It was the lightning, though. It was their time. You know, yeah. it was kind of like uh, there were a lot of years where the lightning were like this close to winning the Stanley Cup and just fell short. So, like, you kind of knew it was their year. If it was going to be anybody's year in the middle of a pandemic, it was going to be the lightning. So, the world's not weird enough. Might as well let them win. Right. But no, I, I thoroughly made a lot of memories in the 2019-20 season. So, as much as the pandemic has thrown a wrench into things, I feel like this year was. A really good hockey year otherwise. Like, obviously neither of our teams won the Stanley Cup, but, like, other than that, it was good. My team was kind of a crap show. Yeah. So I don't have a lot of great memories except for some really neat plays that happened. So hopefully if this next season can ever start, we'll have a good time then, maybe. You're right. We're, we're not that far away from more hockey. I know it seems like a month is a long time, but we're, we're close. I'll believe it when I see it. Right. On to the NFL, the Lions rookie cornerback, is that what CB means? Yeah, cornerback, yep. I said corner. Yeah, it sounded merged together in my brain, so it was like quarterback. I'm like, no. Lions rookie cornerback Jeff Okuda is undergoing season-ending core muscle surgery, so that kind of sucks. It sounds more like it was a groin injury, but they said core muscle injury, so I don't know. Maybe that's his core muscle group. <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> so the, what is the name of this team? They're from Carolina. Panthers. That's the one. So they faced a COVID outbreak this week when it had to place eight players on their reserve slash COVID list. The team believes they found the source of this outbreak and it was during their bye week. The players who got sick and others gathered outside of the team facility so they're just hanging out at home whatever inviting half the team yeah but there have been no new positive tests from monday night into tuesday so that's good at least they found out which players are sick this does mean that the team could face fines and or loss of a draft pick because the players did this yeah, and then speaking about fines, they've also, as an organization, have come out and stated that they're going to be fining every individual player involved with this situation $10,000 per incident of breaking this policy. So I would imagine there are fines to come yeah. to these players, and they just haven't announced who's getting what at this point, but the organization is going to recoup some of the losses that they're going to have to pay to the NFL for their players doing what they did. So I think that's uh, very good of them to get out ahead of the NFL and just being like, listen, we're going to handle this in-house too because it don't fly. So yeah. I, when I read that, I was like, you know, I, I think that's only like the second or third team this year that's really been like ahead of the curve dealing out fines before the NFL does. Well, I mean, it doesn't seem to me, at least I don't think so. I don't think that the teams had such a hard time with COVID until this happened. Unless I'm wrong and not remembering. Panthers have kind of avoided it for the most part. They've had a couple players here or there throughout the season, but like who hasn't in the NFL? Uh, this is definitely the worst outbreak they've had. It's usually like a one player situation and they just quarantine them and then contact trace and they avoid the problem. But 
And the last piece of NFL news that I have, because I couldn't find a lot other than, you know, speculations about the playoffs. Good news, I have things. Yeah, good news. Yeah. So the Broncos cornerback, AJ Boy, has been suspended six games for performance-enhancing drug use. Mm -hmm. And what it seems to me like from what I read, he's a player who has gotten injured and is injury prone, and that led to him feeling like he needed to do something in order to be more prepared for the rest of the season, or at least that's from what I read. Yeah, so obviously players from time to time like to use some form of magic drug that will help them heal faster and stronger, and yeah, PEDs are usually what they are. This isn't the movie Wanted. You can't just sit in a bath and suddenly you're healed. If only. But yeah, it, it's not uncommon for players in the NFL to be in that situation. So, But other news that I have, in other NFL news this week, uh, Miles Garrett is back in the news, but for good reasons this time. If you don't remember, Miles Garrett is the uh, defensive player that took Mason Rudolph's helmet off of his head after Mason Rudolph allegedly used a racial slur and then beat him with his own helmet last season. Yeah. Um, He was suspended for, I believe it was like six or eight games, something like that. So most of this year he has not played, but he's back to playing, I think it was as of like two, three weeks ago, somewhere in that roughly area. He's been nominated by his team, the Browns, to be the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, which each team Mm -hmm. gives their own, that award out individually to one player on their organization. So every team has their own Walter Payton Award winner. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, it all eventually goes into a finalist, and then like that's the person for the entire NFL. But right now, they're at the team level uh, recognitions. The award is given for the best player for performance on the field and dedication to their community service and local communities. During the time that he was suspended, he actually like really dove into the community service world. And it's not saying that that's something he didn't do previously. It's just the, you know, press being the press. They're like, look, there's good things. Mm-hmm. Um, is kind of what they're doing to him now. His coach actually came out and stated that even in previous seasons, he's been very involved in the community. It's just that the suspension has given him more time to do these things, even more so than he normally would. Um, obviously, the pandemic has given the players even some more time on top of that. So um, he's been very, very big in the community. He's one of the leading captains for the NFL with a organization called The Water Boys, which focuses on bringing clean water to rural communities in East Africa where they may not have access to clean drinking water. So this past offseason, he took a two-week trip to Tanzania and literally helped dig working wells for these communities. So, like, how often do you see a football player making millions and millions of dollars actually going out and doing physical work instead of just being like, yeah, I'm here for press and smiles and waves and, like, autograph things to sell for your charity like he got down in the ditches with these guys and helped dig these wells for these rural communities in tanzania he also picked up the tab for a, a lot of things related to the protests and marches related to george floyd and the other deaths that occurred throughout the year by the hands of the police in the united states he paid for funeral costs of a gentleman by the name of david mcgaddy he's a local business owner in louisville kentucky who during the protest over the summer was shot and killed by police officers during that time. 
So on top of even that, which is crazy, like you, like he's not even close to being done with what he did for the year. Uh, he also provided over twenty four thousand pounds worth of food and additional resources. The dollar amount given was in the realm of $500,000 for the additional resources to Cleveland Hope Exchange and local area food banks in Cleveland to try to help out the Cleveland community and the more poor neighborhoods of the city itself. So definitely a little more good press around the guy that freaked out. And like, I'm still on the edge, like, because if Mason Rudolph did use a racial slur, I kind of understand where that trigger gets switched. And like, you're like, dude, you can't say stuff like that. But at the same time, like taking the man's helmet off and beating him with his own helmet, maybe a little extreme to say the least, but like. I think you have to be in control of yourself, even when someone does something like that. And like, that's not to try to victim blame someone getting called something inappropriate. Yeah. It's just physical violence, I think, is worse than calling someone something they shouldn't have. And so, like, I get you were provoked, but you can't let that decide how you're going to act. Right. I'm kind of on the fence about this because, like, obviously you're not going to stand for a racial slur. And and you shouldn't, by any means. So let's clarify that. And so, I don't know. I do and don't agree with this, but I'm glad he's doing good things while he has to think about what he did. Yeah. And then also this week, the Patriots' 17-year streak of having 10-plus win season comes to an end after the Thursday night football loss to the Los Angeles Rams. What's my saying? All streaks come to an end? Yep. It's a pretty long one. 17 years of 10-plus wins. It's they all pretty end impressive. Eventually. As well this week, the Bills defeated the 49ers on Monday night to get the team's first Monday night football victory since 1999. What's my saying? Oh, gosh. <laughs> that's, that's not even accurate. <laughs> That's a lose streak. They're... That's a losing streak since 1999. And it ended. Yeah, well, yeah, all streaks end. That's not a saying. That's reality. It's also a thing. Yeah, sure. <laughs> the Bills also this week signed their GM, Brandon Dean, to a multi-year extension after that victory. Kind of makes sense. He ended up on the longest streaks in the organization's history. And then Travis Kelsey becomes the first tight end in the history of the NFL with five straight 1,000-plus yards of receiving uh, yardage in the history. So, like, a pretty pretty long time. NFL's been around for a while. He's the first tight end to ever do it, so it's that's really great. And then this week as well, the Jets fired their defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, after a awful call in their last game. They were up by four uh, against the Raiders, and he decided to call an all-out blitz, and Derek Carr threw it the game-winning touchdown because there was nobody in the field to block the receivers. He managed to escape the blitz and throw that. Obviously, the Jets' performance this year has also been absolute garbage. So the combination of the two, they were like, just like, listen, dude, this isn't for you. Have a great life. But that's all the NFL news I have. Like you said, there really wasn't much going on this week. Um, just a couple records and that, you know, the Miles Garrett being the first person nominated for the Walter Payton Man of the Year award, so... I'm glad that there wasn't much, because that means I didn't miss out on much. Nope. So I only really found one thing to report from Major League Baseball. I don't know if you found anything else, because it seems like we are at the point where all they're going to do is speculate about the next season. Yeah, so right now in the MLB, you have just very few off-season signings. And then on top of that, like, the final awards are basically given out at this point, and then nothing. Yeah. So... 
So the one thing I found was that outfielder David Dahl has reached a one-year agreement with the Rangers for $3 million. Yeah. With an AAV of $3 million. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> they also had some other signings this week. The one that breaks my heart uh, near and dear, McCann Can, is now a member of the New York Mets. Yeah, that's too bad. Uh, he signed a four-year deal worth more than $40 million dollars. Um, his salary is roughly going to be that $40 million, but you have the bonus potential to stack on top, obviously. Right. Also, this week, the Royals signed Carlos Santana on a two-year deal with $17.5 million. You're going to have the greatest guitarist playing for their team, is all I'm going to say. I was going to make that joke, but I bet I would have done it better. In my notes, I said not the guitarist, because <laughs> I was ready for you to make that joke. So, um, However, the White Sox did sign Adam Eaton to a one-year $7 million contract. I'm so happy to have Adam Eaton back. Um, he must he, be good if he's getting that much. Yeah, he's he's a really good player. Um, we traded him to Washington uh, about four years ago to bring over uh, Giolito, who threw that the no-hitter on my birthday. Okay. And uh, Dane Dunning, who we recently traded away, which I'm about to get to, to the Rangers for a starting pitcher that should pretty much solidify our starting three rotation for this upcoming season, so... And we'll talk about that now. So trades this week. We had the Rangers uh, and the White Sox come to an agreement to have the Rangers trade Lance Lynn to the White Sox for Dane Dunning and Avery Weems. Avery Weems was a mediocre bullpen pitcher. And Dane Dunning, I'm sad to see him go because I, and, and I had a conversation with one of my friends who's a Rangers fan at work this week and he goes well it sounds like we got the short and the stick i said listen dane dunning if you coach him properly in the next two to three years can be your ace like he's capable he has a very good repertoire of pitches he just needs to get that major league experience i think that's really all he'll need and then at that he'll be a phenomenal starting pitcher so and it's a guy you can literally build an organization around this year he really showed that you know he was called up twice with less than a 12-hour notice to starting games in the major leagues so like those outings were kind of like more ambushes and he performed very well yeah so it's just one of those situations where it's like i'm sad to see young talent go because i know in the future that guy could have been better for us but i think you're saying he could have been a contender yes um, however, he doesn't provide the strength in the starting rotation that we need right now, which Lance Lynn does. So I, I think they made the right decision. The team right now is pretty well locked up contract-wise for the next two or three seasons. And that's where you want to try to win the championship when you have all your talent locked up for that period of time. Like that's when the Penguins were in their finest forms when they had people locked up for two or three years together. Well, that's what you have with most teams who can hold on to their players. Like eventually they're winning multiple times within this time frame while they have all these people still together. Yeah. We won back to back because of something like that. Yeah. You guys won three and six. Three and six, yeah. So, I mean, when you can hold on to players is when you're more likely to win and win multiple times in that time span. It's true. But that's all I had for signings and trades. But I did have some awards. I don't know if you had any of those ones that came out this week. No, but let me get comfy real quick. Okay. The Edgar Martinez Outstanding Designated Hitter Award. Goes to 10 people. No, it is a one-person award and normally only given in the American League because that's normally where the only designated hitters are, but because the season included a universal DH for the NHL, or 
concussion. <laughs> because it involved this year where they had the Universal designated hitter in the National League as well. It's the first time a National League player has ever won the award. It's going to go to Marcel Ozuna of the Atlanta Braves, which is not a shocker. This guy in DH this year, hands down, the best DH in the major leagues. So it makes a lot of sense. I'm not shocked that he was the one that ended up winning that award, needless to say. Also this year's Hank Aaron Awards were announced, which is for the best offensive player in both the American League and the National League. In the American League, the White Sox first baseman, Jose Abreu, uh, won it for the American League. So I always love seeing a White Sox player win awards, especially one for best offensive player. Not, you know, the other kind of offensive, but like baseball offensive, scoring runs, hitting things. And then Freddie Freeman of the Atlanta Braves for the National League. Go figure, the Atlanta Braves still involved with these conversations. And then this year's Roberto Clemente Award, which is very similar to the award that Miles Garrett was more or less nominated for. It's for on and off field contributions. Adam Wainwright of the St. Louis Cardinals for his charity work through a organization called Big League Impact. It's a charity that he started that works with professional athletes to help people in poor communities with basic needs like food, clean water, medical care, shelter, and education. So it partners with people that may just be out of jobs temporarily to kind of help them get educated in different fields for them to get careers as well as providing food for people that are just kind of down on hard times all sorts of things in the st louis area so adam wainwright is the one that won it for the entire major leagues so it's just a one-off award for al and national league so good for him and then this week we talked about a little bit last week that they were going to announce the al and national well sorry the all mlb team and i only did the first team i didn't go to the second or the third because i didn't want to lull you into a sleep I hope that was picked up on the mic. <laughs> the starting pitchers that were given the award were Trevor Bauer of the Reds, Shane Bieber of the Indians, Yu Darvish from the Cubs, Jacob DeGrom from the Mets, and Max Fried from the Braves. The relief pitchers were Nick Anderson from the Tampa Bay Rays and Liam Hendricks from the Athletics. At first base, they had Freddie Freeman of the Braves. At second base, they had DJ LeMahieu from the Yankees. At shortstop, Fernando Tatis Jr. from the Padres. At third base, Manny Machado from the Padres. In the outfield, you had Mookie Betts from the Dodgers, Juan Soto from the Nationals, and Mike Trout from the Angels. In DH, you had, go figure, Marcelo Zuna from the Braves. And at catcher position, Salvador Perez from the Royals. Which I thought was a little bit of a shocker, but he had an amazing season at catcher, so I shouldn't knock it. But I just didn't expect somebody from the Royals to be mentioned on the first team, considering how poorly they played this season. But that's literally all the MLB news I have. I tried to keep it short and as quick as I could. Yay, baseball. Woohoo. I think that leaves us with the NBA. That would be up next, yes. Yeah. And the only thing that I found, because they're also in the off season, uh, leading up to playing, they're not playing yet. Yes, they are. They're playing preseason games. Oh my god. Yes. Then we have to get into an argument about whether preseason counts as real games or not. And I don't want to go there. <laughs> they're playing they're, games in the preseason. They are just now ramping up, I guess you could say. <laughs> so LeBron James was named Time's 2020 Athlete of the Year. Yeah, Time Magazine's Athlete of the Year. Not an easy award to get, that's for sure. Well, considering how many people there are. Yeah, how many athletes there are in the world, go figure. 
And then also, obviously, the NBA preseason began last week. We had some pretty interesting games. A lot of the big-name players were sitting. So, like, everybody was like, Lakers-Clippers is going to be the greatest series. And then LeBron and Anthony Davis didn't even play. They just sat on the bench. And it was like, what did you expect for the first game of the preseason? That these guys who just won a championship less than 31 days ago are going to be like, we're here to play basketball again. Like, no, they're going to let them rest. Right, yeah. That's why I don't think preseason should count. Because, like, you're not playing the way you do in a regular season. Right. And you're not playing who you normally play in a regular season. Also this week, the Clippers signed PG-13 to a four-year, $190 million max contract. Who? Paul George wears number 13. He used to play for the Oklahoma City Thunder. I'm really sad that you don't know who he is. Maybe my grandma would know, but I don't. She would know with 100% certainty (laughs) who PG-13 is. I'm worse than an 84-year-old woman. That is bad. Yeah, when it comes to sports. (laughs) Congratulations. Also, the NBA announced that they will be using COVID-19 tests daily that will get results for the home team in under 30 minutes and the away team in under 90 minutes during the regular season. So the home team can get their test results in the same amount of time it takes to get a pizza? Yes. Yeah, I, I wasn't expecting that the way you went, but yes, 30 minutes or less, they will have the results of positive or negative tests. Now I'm wondering what you thought I was going to say. I'm, I'm really confused now. Um, but the good news coming out of the front of the NBA when it comes to the preseason games, only eight of the 541 players that were tested this week came back positive for COVID-19 during the last week's rounds of testing. All the players that were involved with those eight positive tests were contact traced around, and they only ended up having to sit, I think, like four or five players across the NBA. So That's not bad. They're, they're avoiding the, the spread of it pretty, pretty well. This is a weird one. So the Timberwolves parted ways with their GM this week, right before the regular season started. Why? There really isn't a lot of information, but they, it seemed like it was a mutual decision. So I, I'm just really confused because the Timberwolves have been actively improving underneath this guy's leadership. So I'm really kind of confused as to how... I mean, there's a chance he did something not at all related to the sport that made them not want to work with him anymore. It's possible. But there's really no information about why they parted ways, but they did nonetheless. And when I saw that, I was like, okay, well, I have to at least mention it. It's just kind of a weird thing. It's a weird time, I think, because normally firings or people leaving happen at the end of a season. Or but during I mean, like a bad run during the season. But I mean, we're kind of at the end of a season and I guess start of a season, according to you. So I guess this would be the time. Also, the NBA announced this week that teams will receive $30 million of financial assistance due to losses caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. It's not really a whole lot considering owners of organizations have come out, including the local owner of the Dallas Mavericks, stating that they're going to lose over $100 million during the pandemic. But it's something... It's really crazy to think that $30 million is just like chump change in comparison to what these organizations are losing during the pandemic, but... Also think about how much money they make a year. Like, yeah, I know losing that much money sounds like a lot, a lot, a lot, but at the same time, they make way more than that. And like that kind of loss is obviously not good for any business, but... I was going to say, $100 million estimated loss for one team out of all the teams in the business. That is the NBA. It's 
that's really not great. But yeah, I understand your point there. But yeah, this week, more or less with the preseason, you saw a lot of the guys trying to make the rosters, the final rosters for the season playing. A couple of the top 10 draft picks got some playing time. Uh, LaMelo Ball, who ended up going, I think, like third or fourth overall to the Charlotte Hornets, went 0 for 5 in his first game. So exciting stuff there. But he, he still played a good game. He just didn't make any baskets. I thought to have a good game, you had to score goals. That was the point. Well, he had 10 assists, so he dealt the ball very well to players that were scoring. It's just he did not do any scoring himself. Yeah. But that's literally all the NBA news I have. It was, again, kind of a light week. Preseason games, as you stated, really aren't necessary to go in-depth on necessarily, but there is basketball happening. Well, the MLS Cup is officially over as of last night for our recording. So in the conference final real quick, on December 6th, Columbus Crew SC beat New England Revolution 1-0. And on December 7th, the Seattle Sounders FC beat Minnesota United FC 3-2, which I called despite what you wanted to actually happen. So it ended up being for the MLS Cup on December 12th, Columbus Crew SC playing the Seattle Sounders FC, and Seattle got stomped. 3-0 to zero ended up being the final score. So Columbus Crew SC are now your MLS Cup winning. And to team. clarify, Seattle did sit six people due to COVID restrictions in the MLS, so... They don't have the depth. Four of those players were starters, and two of them came off their back line for their defense. So, And it was very apparent if you watched the game and the highlights of the MLS Cup. The back line just didn't stand a chance. They got tore apart. Like The last goal that was scored, literally they were so outplayed on the back line. It made me feel like I was watching a professional team play against a high school team. It was very depressing. And I feel bad for Seattle because, like, could they have pushed this back? Probably. But at the same time, it's like you should have behaved yourself, you know, and not been part of the reason you needed to be part of COVID protocol. Like, Right. So I feel bad for them because I feel like they were, they were kind of robbed, but at the same time, really not. Columbus was a really good team this year. and Well, they were a higher seed than them in right. their division. Right. Anyway, so it, without it a would doubt. be... The expected result, but you would hope it would be... A closer, more fun game to watch. A better game than that. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, the offense clearly showed up for Seattle. They just couldn't convert on goals. They had good shots on goal. The goalie for Columbus was phenomenal last night. Yeah. But it just came down to that back line was just getting tore apart, like, over and over and over. And that poor goalie for Seattle just... Like, no matter how good you are, man, you're going to let goals in when it's just, like, always in your face. The ball is always in your face. Well, because of that back line. Right. And so it was... I watched probably the last 25 to 30 minutes of the game live, and it hurt my soul to watch. But nothing as much as Borussia Dortmund's performance is going to hurt your soul. We could not do this. We can pretend international soccer didn't happen. (laughs) We could just go on our merry way. So the breaking news this morning out of the Bundesliga was that Borussia Dortmund fired their head coach, Lucien Favre, uh, following a poor performance in multiple recent games. Most recently, the 5-1 to beatdown brought by Stuttgart just yesterday. The irony of this is a lot of the sports writers said that the young players of Dortmund shined. And I'm like, with one goal? They shined so bright. Well, a lot of the 
stuff that's come out since that has all been really negative press about Dortmund. Yeah. So if you read anything this morning, it was basically trashing Dortmund. It's a, a dark time in Borussia Dortmund right now. Their assistant coach, Eden Terzic, uh, will take charge as the interim head coach until either the organization hires him on as the full-time coach or finds a new replacement. Dortmund currently sit in fifth place with 19 points after 11 matches in the Bundesliga. The only bright news for Borussia Dortmund this week was that they did end up winning their group in the Champions League. And so the group winners this week in the Champions League were Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, Manchester City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Borussia Dortmund, Juventus, and PSG. The runner-ups in the group stages that qualified for the next round of games, round of 16, is Atletico Madrid, Borussia Mönchengladbach. There we go. Get that out. FC Porto, Atalanta, Sevilla, Lazio, Barcelona, Red Bull, Leipzig. So what's weird about the group winners right now is every English team won their group except for one, and we're about to cover that, which is also bad news for you as a fan of a team that you're a fan of in the English soccer world. Um, The teams that were eliminated from the Champions League and relegated down to the Europa League will be the Red Bull Salzburg team, Shakhtar Donetsk, Olympiakos, Ajax, FC Krasnodar. I probably butchered that one. It's not one I see very often. Club Bruges, Dynamo Kiev, and Manchester United. Mm Mm-hmm. We could pretend like international soccer didn't happen this week. It was a rough week for your teams. Yeah. To say the least. At the same time, I really can't say that about my team in England. We've won our last two games. Kind of a good feeling. But at the same time, it you know, we've had a rough go, I think, overall with that. But uh, with the Premier League right now, you have Tottenham sitting at the top of the table. You have Liverpool in second, Southampton in third, Chelsea in fourth, Leicester City in fifth, and Manchester United last week, I believe, was in like fifth or sixth, right, overall? I thought we were in seventh last week. Well, if that's the case, that's not too bad. You drew out. You've won four of your last five, and you drew your last game out, and you currently sit in eighth, so you only slid back one spot. Yeah. But with those two back-to-back victories from Newcastle United, um, we've moved from 16th up to 12th. So we're slowly climbing back up the table. Towards the middle of the table. Yeah. The surprise still sitting down near the bottom is Arsenal in 15th. Um, you have Crystal Palace in 11th. You guys this week passed City because City flopped. They're in ninth place now sitting yeah. behind you guys. So definitely still some weird one sitting out there like Southampton still sitting in the top three is mind-boggling to me but they're having a great year they've lost one game in their last five so it's just like what do you expect doing good things so and then we partially discussed the Bundesliga where your team stands right now but the rest of the top five you have Bayern Munich in first sitting uh with 24 points over Red Bull Leipzig who also has 24 points currently the goal differential is obviously the difference there 18 to 14 you have Bayer Leverskin in third, Wolfsburg in fourth, Dortmund in fifth, and then Schalke still cannot figure out how to get a win. They've taken their third straight loss after two draws. Where are they? Dead last place. 18th. Yikes. They have not had a single win this season. So Someone's going to get fired. It's already all happened. The whole team has pretty much been fired. I'm pretty sure at this point they're just taking kids out of the community and putting them on the pitch. And then they're um, going to get fired. Yeah. As well as the mascot. Yeah. That's all the soccer international news I have. You covered the MLS. But that seems like that's going to be it for us 
for this last episode of the year. I hope you guys are going to try to stay happy and safe for the holiday season. Don't do anything too crazy. And stay up on the social medias because we will be posting there actively through the remainder of the year still. So we appreciate that, guys, and your time. And we'll catch you next year. Bye, guys. Bye.